one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space, episode 419, for the week of Monday, June 4th, 2012. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Uh, batteries to power, turbines to speed. We're ready to rock and roll here, Sawyer. Thanks. Make sure your foot has put the pedal to the metal. And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Good evening and hello. Hello indeed. Speaking of hello, we had a great interview for you last week. We hope you enjoyed that. But while the interview was going on last week, there was some history going on as well. Last week on May 25th, history was made as the International Space Station grabbed, quote-unquote, the dragon by the tail as the arm, manned by astronaut Don Pettit, reached out and grabbed the dragon capsule and then berthed it to the International Space Station. Capture was at 9.56 a.m. over Australia, and then at 12.02 p.m., all of these Eastern, it was then attached to the International Space Station, making it the first private commercial vehicle to berth to the International Space Station and making them one of the few entities to have ever done that. They are among the ranks of only the United States, Russia, ESA, and JAXA which is the Japanese Space Agency. So they are among history. And on top of that, not only were they able to dock it, take the items out of it, and then put new ones inside to send back to Earth, but then it was successfully returned to Earth as it splashed down in the Pacific Ocean on May 31st at 11.42 a.m. Eastern Time. Pretty amazing, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, they went ahead and did what uh, a lot of naysayers said couldn't be done. If you recall, some uh, some of the Apollo astronauts, you know, Gene Cernan among them, uh, was very, very skeptical of the whole thing. Um, so was Neil Armstrong. In fact, during the, the post-splashdown uh, mission brief, uh, uh, Elon Musk was asked about that and was also asked about some of the other congressional naysayers. And I thought he had a... Um, a very you know eloquent answer to that. He basically said, "Hopefully, this will you know change change some you know some minds out there." It it, cha- it changed mine. I know that. Um, I I at first was very very skeptical of this idea, but as more and more uh, we went on with it, I was I got a little bit more on board with it, trying to see what was going on, and also trying to see the economic possibilities here. I think we witnessed a birth of a new um, theater, essentially, of economic opportunity here. That's if we're willing to step through the doors and and take that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, with Dragon 
uh, going forward and um, and seeing what, what, what's going on. I know um, NASA has uh, contracted with SpaceX about six launches of uh, uh, six cargo launches for Dragon. Uh, and that also goes with um, uh, with Orbital Sciences, their spacecraft, the uh, the Cygnus, which I believe is set for launch oh toward the end of October, early November, that time frame. But um, the interesting thing that that the SpaceX Dragon gives you that um, no other vehicle does is the ability to go ahead and return objects from the ISS. So, you know, you've got the the, the possibility of bringing stuff back. You know, so now we've got the down mass again, which is something we lost after the the ending of the shuttle program. So, um, again, it 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 may have woken a lot of people up, I think, uh, to uh, to future possibilities and future economic possibilities. And if everything goes well with this, hopefully, it'll open the door for NASA to go off and start doing some serious exploration rather than going ahead and dealing with low Earth orbit operations like we've been doing the past forty years. Something that I believe uh, uh, Alan Lindemoyer had said also during the, the post-splashdown press conference, which you saw here today, you know, that day, was not an exclusively NASA team. It was not an exclusively SpaceX team. It was the two entities operating together. And I've seen a lot of editorials and all this, especially there was one in Forbes magazine lately, uh, that said, well, this should go ahead and, and precipitate NASA's budget cutting right to the bone. We don't need it anymore. Well, SpaceX wouldn't be around if it weren't for NASA. Elon Musk said it himself. And that mission would not be as successful as it was without SpaceX sort of backing NASA up. Oh, oh that's without a doubt. Uh, they even said that in the pre-launch conference, you can't have one without the other, basically. They are, they are without a doubt, a team and a great one at that if they were able to succeed at this. But, I, I mean, the big factor of this is that it was a success. And usually within their first three missions, there's usually at least one failure. Each of their three first flights of the Falcon 9 with the Dragon capsule have come back safely. Those that did have an actual capsule on board. That's pretty impressive. And the other thing, too, is this is probably going to free up SpaceX to do other things as well, too. I think SpaceX is also trying to go ahead and see if they can secure some military contracts to launch some military satellites. I think that's what they're really going going after now. I know they've got, uh, you know, I think, what is it? Uh, um, they have their first contract now, which also happened this past week with the Falcon 9 Heavy, which is their new one that they're planning for for satellites, and that is with Intelsat. Right, so you if you can carry an Intel, you know, if you carry something like Intel set, you can probably also carry some military applications too. I think that's what SpaceX is really trying to get after at this point. This is very unique because even though spaceflight now has been going on for over fifty years, this is still a very new aspect of it—the whole not government-run but government-regulated with commercial space—and I, I find that. Really interesting, and I think it's more of a learning experience for everybody at this point of where they plan to go and what they plan to do in the future. And I, I, I honestly think that the fact that we have made it the, to this point is pretty impressive, also considering that SpaceX managed to do this in six years. Yeah, well, again, they, they've uh, Elon Musk basically said, really, if it weren't for NASA, uh, this today wouldn't have happened. 
Uh, you have to remember too that uh, you know, and again, I think this also blows this old space versus new space argument, you know, right up, uh, because NASA was backing them up. NASA wanted space explorations technologies to succeed in this effort, and they want them to succeed in commercial crew because if they succeed, then the ISS program succeeds. And as far as the the piloted side. They're not the only ones either. We've got uh, several other companies all also vying for, for the right to to send uh, uh, personnel to the ISS. So it'll be very very interesting to see who actually you know wins that battle. Have to remember too, Bigelow Aerospace is waiting in the wings, waiting for these guys to get their act together, so that possibly they can get into the game and set up their own orbiting la- inflatable laboratory, and possibly have you know SpaceX or. Uh, you know, Boeing with their CST-100 or, or Sierra Nevada with the Dream Chaser, you know, be making calls on that particular facility. So, uh, again, this is this is, might be the start of some really good stuff for uh, a whole new economic base in low Earth orbit, if we allow it to happen. Exactly. By the way, speaking of Sierra Nevada, as well this past week, they also performed a test on their Dream Chaser, which some have called a miniature version of the space shuttle. And what they did was they lowered it down from a helicopter and they flew it along to test the aerodynamics of the vehicle itself to see how it would perform if it were re-entering the atmosphere and performing flight here on Earth for a landing. So just a fun fact that Sierra Nevada is getting closer to their tests coming up as well as they check out the aerodynamics of their vehicle. And there's some pretty cool pictures of it, too. And the interesting thing about the Dream Chaser is that it could land at any conventional airport. Uh, and it does not have a lot of the hypergols that uh, uh, the hypergolic fuels that, uh, that the shuttle had on board. Uh, so, again, you could land at a conventional air- airport and get out of there, you know, and, and disembark with, with really no, no problem. Just roll the ladder up, and once the, the thing is cooled off, just roll the ladder up to it, and voila, you're out. So, uh, again, we, we will have, it looks like we will have a winged spacecraft in, in space again. It's just going to be a little smaller. Exactly. But commercial space flight, the era of it has arrived without a doubt, especially with SpaceX's successful flight. Yes, sir first round around the table as we pitched in on that even though mark was a little quiet we'll hear from him a little bit later for sure so we're finally back to our new format and we are now going to take our second trip around the table and this one is actually some space shuttle news depending on what you consider a space shuttle (laughs) so the first thing that we're going to start off with was the space shuttle explorer that was in fact the shuttle that you could go inside and was a replica of one that was housed at the Kennedy Space Center for a while and was then shipped off to Space Center Houston out in Texas. It arrived in Texas on June 1st, kicking off what they called Shuttlebration Weekend. It made its way into Houston. They had celebrations for its arrival as they drove it down the roads of Texas to Space Center Houston, they had the Max-Q Band, which is an astronaut band playing, and they had events for one and all for the arrival of their shuttle. thought that was pretty interesting how very receptive they were, even though they were still a little bit angry about not getting one of the other four orbiters. Yeah, but I think what they're trying to do is, is 
take the lemons that they were handed to handed and uh, make some lemonade out of them. Uh, Explorer is uh, one of the quote orbiters close quote that uh, you know. Mark, you you know about Explorer. She sat there over at the. Uh, uh, the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center for all those years from the, the early 90s on. And uh, I believe, and somebody checked me on this, where Explorer sat is where um, Atlantis or the, the, the exhibit for Atlantis is going to, is currently under construction. So uh, Explorer needed a new home. And uh, as a consolation prize, if you will, um, Explorer was given to uh, Space Center Houston. Now the, now, the neat thing about Explorer is you can climb into it. I mean, anybody that's been to the KSC Visitor Center in the past few years has done so. And I believe, too, that they're going to go ahead. They've got some plans to augment the interior. They've got some plans to, to, to play with the exterior of the orbiter. I think they're going to try to make it look like a flown vehicle. So it's going to be kind of fun to see what, what they, they come up with. And, again, yeah, Houston is, is you know, got, got uh, handed some lemons, but they, are, they're, they're, they took this, this, uh, this little gift from, from Florida, and they're going to make the most of it, I think. I think they will. If the celebration that they threw for it was anything, then and without a doubt, I mean, that was a two-day extravaganza that they had there. As it was driving down some of the roads to get to its final place, there was a couple of close calls with some trees that it almost hit. They had actually removed some traffic lights so that it didn't interfere with it, but there were a couple of close calls with trees. However, it made it out unscathed on its journey, which can't be said the same for the Space Shuttle Enterprise, which was the test vehicle which was awarded to the Intrepid Sierra Space Museum. Since April, it has been housed at John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York City, and it is then on its way, as of this recording, which is Monday night, June 4th. It was on its way this past Sunday in its first leg of two to the Intrepid Sierra and Space Museum. It made its way through Queens and Brooklyn and stopped off in New Jersey, where originally scheduled for Tuesday, however delayed due to weather, possibly till Wednesday, where it will then head down the Hudson River, pass by the Statue of Liberty, as well as the World Trade Center site before docking at Pier 86, and being lifted on board the carrier later that day. However, all didn't go as according to plan on leg one of the journey. Now, they had two concerns when they were going through. One of them was trying to get by a little bit of a railroad bridge that they had to get by, and then the other was an actual bridge. The bridge, it was a little bit of a close call, but the the actual vertical stabilizer in the back made it by just fine. However, that was the second part. The first part was that railroad bridge that it had to narrowly squeeze through. It didn't go as well as it was going down the middle. A strong gust of about 35 knots came along, pushed the shuttle to the side, and smashed the wing into the side of it, scraping the wing, revealing some of the wood material underneath. That was a little surprising to hear that they damaged the shuttle on the way to New York. That's what I call an oops. Just an oops? That is a huge oops. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I was standing, you know, I, I remember going to the, the uh, um, seeing that bird sitting side, you know, sitting right across the way from Discovery. And uh, I, 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 I saw the wing before she was damaged. So 
Uh, I think you guys over at the Intrepid have got uh, got some work cut out for you before uh, uh, before you start uh, start the, the the display. I'm sure they'll go ahead and get Enterprise ship shape and ready to go for uh, her debut. Alrighty then. Speaking of things that weren't meant to be what they actually were, Gene, what do you have for us? Oh boy. Well, um, Christmas came early for NASA. The Nas- National Reconnaissance Office, the NRO, uh, basically said, um, "Hey NASA, uh, we've got two assets, essentially two um, reconnaissance satellites that we're not actually using, or we don't plan to use. They're, they're space qualified. They've got mirrors. Uh, the the mirrors are about anywhere between seven to nine feet, just like Hubble. Uh, but guess what? They've got about a hundred times this field of view." And um, we're just not going to do anything with them. You want them? So uh, it looks like that indeed NASA is going to say, let me think about this for a moment. Yes, they just got essentially two new Hubble Space Telescopes from the National Reconnaissance Office. Um, And uh, they no longer, apparently, uh, to quote the article I'm looking at here from uh, dated today from the Washington Post, um, to quote uh, a spokeswoman for NRO, Loretta DeSoto, she basically said that uh, they no longer possess the intelligence collection uses, and um, she basically went on to say that the hardware is approximately the same size of Hubble, but it uses newer, much lighter mirrors and uh, structure technology. And uh, some of the other components were removed before the the transfer when, when pressed... Uh, to ask which components, um, she said, quite frankly, I can't answer that question, which probably means I could answer it, but then I'd have to shoot you afterward. Um, apparently, these telescopes have been declassified according to the article, but remain sufficiently sensitive that um, neither the National Reconnaissance Office or NASA could go ahead and provide any any photography of said uh, instruments. Uh, but uh, again, it, 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 it's a bit of a surprise for, for NASA. Um, now, there's the rumor has it that uh, 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 the NRO telescopes may be about, uh, you know, maybe modified versions of the old KH or Keyhole 11 uh, satellites uh, that have been running around in orbit since 1976. In fact, some people kind of theorize that Hubble herself was sort of a, a modified version of a keyhole satellite. But uh, it kind of makes you wonder what else is up there. Um, NASA's also said, too, that, they're, that they they can't get assets or they're going to need to wait a little bit and, and sit down and figure out what these assets are and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. But uh, it looks like, indeed, that... Uh, uh, NASA's got a gift, and uh, they will probably use this to the best of their ability, and uh, we'll just have to sit and wait and see what the heck they really, really are and see if we actually really do get photographs of what these things actually look like. So Hubble ain't dead, boys and girls. Well, the the Hubble Space Telescope herself may may be, you know, on the wane. Um, Again, you know, these other two scopes are coming online, and I don't know what that does to, to the James Webb Telescope now. Although Webb has got far more power, much more powerful capabilities than even, probably even than these two things. Um, but if yeah, I think we're talking about something totally different. 
Yeah, right? yeah. The the two vehicles are are are, are sort of the same as Hubble, but you know, I mean, the not quite. I mean, the idea too is that the uh, a lot of people are speculating about the future of the James Webb Telescope, and and they're they're actually two different critters. So, and in in their capabilities as well, I think uh, James Webb is actually more of a infrared light than uh, than uh, you know than uh, you know actual light. Uh, type vehicle anyway, so Webb will be able to give us some some far better uh, far better shots than than even even Hubble or any of these two other uh, assets will. But Hubble is um, of course on its way out. Um, they figure it might last around the 2013-2014 time frame before it has to come in and and reenter. But uh, having these other two assets available is going to be pretty darn good. In fact, uh, uh, from what I heard. And I think this was also in the same Washington Post article. Is if you turn these telescopes uh, back over toward the Earth, uh, as a you know, in, in their usual role as a reconnaissance vehicle, they could pick up a dime on the top of the Washington Monument. That's how good the optics are on these things. So it kind of makes you wonder too what else they've got up there that's looking back down at us. Um, so. Uh, uh, but again, this is this is a a boon for astro- for astronomy. It, it seems like Hubble's legacy will will live on in these two in these two vehicles, and you know, gosh darn it, we, I think NASA really really kind of kind of got lucky here because they didn't have plans to send any any new telescopes uh, past uh, past Webb uh, into orbit. So they they now have two assets to play with, and this is this is good stuff for uh, for uh, for astronomy. As long as they don't mind paying the uh, continuing costs of operating it. Yeah, good point, Mark. Good point. I'm guessing, too, that that's what NASA's trying to do. They're trying to go ahead and scramble uh, not only to try to figure out what they're going to do with these things, but also uh, can the existing you know, control center that they have for Hubble go ahead and, uh, and run these, these two assets. Alrighty then. So with that, that's Two people on our second go-around, which brings us to Mark. And I believe you have some more Discovery goodies for us in our continued Mark Discovers Discovery series. Sure do. Got a clip from one of the shuttle techs that I talked to. And in this case, that was back on April 11th. And you'll hear the introduction and the gentleman speaking in a mere moment. My name is Greg Olive. Uh, I basically, right now, I currently work in the uh, horizontal processing everywhere that's where we all basically work now um you know we're preparing the orbiters for their their trips to you know the different you know display sites um past employment i actually i started here at the beginning in the opf you know i mean that was my, my first job in 91 and then uh after some layoffs and stuff i ended up working at i worked as a propulsion tech at titan and i left there and i went over to uh, uh processed um uh, booster hardware for usbi over the arf after that, I went. I, my last stop was uh, for launch operations uh, as a as an aft tech at the pad. You know, so basically, my last ten years out here, eleven years out here, had been, you know, taking them from being horizontal in the VAB, we take them up, bolt them to the tank, and take them out the pad and launch them. Any any guesses to the numbers of people you've worked around over the years, or you know, close coworkers, not necessarily in um, other, other fields? You know, it's funny. It's it's probably a fairly small number based on the fact that we all are are. You know, our, our career paths are also interlaced that when you go from one spot to the other, you'll pass, you'll cross other people's paths that have left previously or whatever. So, I mean, I, I bet there's probably, 
maybe 100 total people that I've actually worked side by side with over the whole process. You know, and most of them, I mean, there's still guys here that I, I came in with my first day, you know. Yeah. So it's just weird. It really is sort of a family, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Case? Oh, there's, you know, we've had, uh, we've had uh, people here before, you know, that worked with us that were older. And you're, you look at them and you why don't they retire? And it's like, in reality, this is our social group. You know, I mean, everybody here has your same, uh, we're, we're all interested in, um, in aviation. We're all interested in space flight. We're all interested in manned space flight. Yeah, so it, it's we all. If we weren't friends here, we'd be friends outside the gate. Is, is it sort of common amongst people that you've known that uh, that people had sort of a dream job that gee, I'd really like to do this someday, and they actually got to do it? Oh, that's that's me. That's me. I swear to God, I, I at age probably 17, I was at a guidance office in Polk uh, Community College um, over in the Winter Haven, and uh, you know, they said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to work on the shuttle." That was 84, and through the weirdest of luck, I mean, I got a great story I could tell you, it'll take forever, but, you know, I just happened to be up in this area with my wife, she had a family reunion, and I'd just gotten out of the Air Force and all that, and the guy there worked on boosters, and he basically, you know, at this reunion party, he's like, here, go down and apply at Lockheed. Three months later, I had a job. How about that? Yeah. The, the slimmest of connections sometimes. Yeah, that's why I always look at you, got really... You have good luck and bad luck, and I had a great, great hit of luck there. All these little, everything fell into place. I mean, I couldn't believe it. How about some of the folks that have retired over the years? Uh, do you have some that, that come around and keep in touch? Do people tend to drift off and, um, and go on and pursue the uh, the good side of retirement? What, what do you hear from, from some of them? For the most part, you know, most of them, you know, are still around. It, uh, you know, some some people stay really tight. Um, me because I've bounced around so much. The fringes are so, you know, many that I don't I don't stay in touch that much. But um, for the most part, um, you know, so much it's outside of here. If you if you if you have a relationship with a guy in here, you know, your friends in here, and you go out and golf or whatever. You know, after they leave, whatever they still go golfing and things like that, and still do stuff. But for people that you know that their interactions were all basically inside the gates. Once someone leaves, and I found something, I got laid off. You call back and, hey, how's it going? You stay on top of things. And over time, you get farther and farther away from the epicenter, and you just don't have anything to talk about anymore. So you just kind of like, that's when you drift off. But there have got to be jobs and parts of jobs that can be frustrating. Uh, ever, ever see folks that just weren't really right for this kind of work? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had discussions about it even recently here. Uh, we, were all, we like to reflect on some of the individuals that have come through our shops. You know, all of them perfectly good um, you know, people and probably good skills, but you actually have to be very arrogant and very confident to do this job because when you go up and, you know, when I go up and do a job, I usually have two different individuals represent two different entities watching me for everything I do. And if you aren't real confident in it, you'll get nervous. And then when you get nervous, you start, and then it just goes downhill from there. And then the people that yeah. are checking you out, they question yep. your and, skills or and your it just, procedures. It compounds. And yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, um, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I don't know of anybody out that's that's in our group now that that isn't real overconfident in themselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, and you pretty much have to be. Do uh, do you get involved in, in past with troubleshooting, or has that happened at a higher level? With um, it usually it's, it's it's the the design of it is at higher levels. I mean, the original layout of the way the system out here is, you know, um, and things have changed over the years. It's amazing, you know, how the um, how the program itself has has changed you know it's it's evolved 
Because when I, when I did, I first got here, I was basically a pair of hands that was ran by a document, and that document was created by an engineer, and he had a, a level, and I had a level. And after the seven years I was gone from the actual shuttle as I was out doing different things, I was gaining more knowledge and experience of how other people did things. And when I came back, there was a new, uh, a new era had started where they wanted to make things more efficient. They wanted input from the floor instead of just basically talking down to it. And I was almost like a kid in a candy store. I mean, that's some of the best times of my life. But, you know, at that point, you become almost anyone, and they'll come to you and go, okay, what, what do, do you guys think? think? What do you think? Yeah, how, yeah. What would be the best way to do this? And you sit there, and, and it, it, you get a much better product at the end. You know, there's no, no conflict. And I tell you what, the minute they give you ownership of it, you, you get real frustrated when certain things happen because now it's yours, and you really, you know, you want to take care of it. And that was, that was one of the saddest things that when it finally went away is like it was yours and now it's gone. We really got good at this. I mean, you know, you look at how well the orders performed on orbit and how good everything went in processing even. You know, and it's funny, up until the last three launches are when we had the major hiccups. Every one of them's last launch, they all threw their feet out like, no, I don't want to go. I don't know, no. I mean, we had major breaks, schedule slides on every single one of them. You know, we had the... The, we had the first the crossfeed leak seal in 103, and then it's, we had the, the cracked flanges on the, or ribs on the tanks. So that one's shuttled down for a while. You know, we had the, the, the black box we had to change out, and we had the engine control, and the other one we had to change out. They just did not want to go. And all these were found after we had it closed, you know, so it's like they didn't, they didn't want to go. And on Atlantis, I was certain the weather was going to stop everything. I was absolutely certain. We were out here going... They can't possibly go in a... Okay, we're picking up the count. Wow. <laughs> you get... Uh, when the shuttles would land here, did you have involvement with, uh, you know, servicing them after they come off the off the field? Oh, yeah. You know, we catch them when they're going down the runway. I mean, that was, we're, we're part of that group, too. Crew that's out there. Yeah. Yeah, we'd ride out there on the um, different vehicles, and, you know, once it, uh, once it land, you know, we'd chase it down. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing. When you get there and it's still... By the time they clear the tires, you get up there, you can still feel the heat radiating off the RCC. You know, it's really a, 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 neat, uh, a neat experience. Now, this thing, you know, an hour ago, this thing was, uh, you know, going 17,500 miles an hour and uh, on the edge of the, the fringes of the, the atmosphere. So, yeah, it's yeah, cool. I, I can relate to that. I haven't seen Atlantis on the runway last July. Or, uh, oh, you were out there when it came down? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm losing track of the launch and the landing, but, yeah, that was... Uh, it was quite impressive to see something and realize that was just in space and the crew just walked off. Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem quite as uh, quite as charming to drop a capsule into the ocean. Loses, yeah. loses a little bit of what we've gotten used to. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, you always like to, you like to think that the shuttle was a step forward over the capsules and all that. And, then, you know, I'm personally, you know, I think we're... By giving up shuttle, we're giving up a, 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 a capability we should keep. But I, at the same time, I believe if you're only going to go up to a station at low Earth orbit, you know, shuttle's a heavy vehicle with a lot of thrust. You know, use it for what it does, but if you're going to use it as a taxi, that's a, that's a lot of risk you're taking, you know. I mean, seven million pounds of thrust to, to get seven guys or, or three guys or six guys, whatever you're taking up at the time for a crew changeout, that's a, that's a lot of thrust and a lot of questions. Is the, uh, the time frame of launch, is that when you would have... Those moments where you might not not necessarily moment, but you're more apt to hold your breath during the launch, or when the orbiter would would be in orbit, you know, doing doing their oh, job. Never on orbit. Didn't, didn't have any worries orbit. up there. Well, to be honest, we were we, you know, I, 
I roll into the natural feel of the space. And when I first got here, it was launched, and then when boosters separated, everyone clapped. And that's, that was my first experience. That's how, you know, it was imprinted on me. And then after Columbia, now you have that little bit of, okay, the boosters are, because the boosters now work great. They haven't had gave us any problems since challenging. And we don't launch in freezing weather. And then, you know, when Columbia happens, now we're all like, okay, she's coming back. You know, we, we want to see her. We want to hear the booms. We want to, you know, and then I'll say, okay, cool, we made it. You know, so it's, it's like I said, it's basically, I personally don't have any. It's just what's been imprinted on me by, you know, the environment I'm in. During a uh, flight, do you ever get up in the morning and, uh, and kind of check in either at work or somewhere to see how things are going? And That's what NASA selects for. Hey, there they are. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've, oh, bucks. You know, because that's, but, you know, at the same time, over time, the mission itself isn't part of it. I mean, even, you know, before Columbia, I always had a, a real simple motto. You know, I work to give them a good shuttle. They bring it back. So that, that was always our little thing. So, and it always worked out. Well, one time we had an issue, but, you know, I, I never had a problem giving them a good, good piece of equipment. I think Steve Lindsay out at the pad before 133's flight made the statement that uh, they just give us the keys and, and we go fly and, and they want us to take care of it, bring them back, bring yeah. them back in one piece. Yeah, you know, I thought it was funny whenever, um, you know, me and a couple of guys were, were, were talking earlier, and it's like, you know, being in the vertical world, <clears throat> you know, you got the tank, takes two years to build, and it would show up eventually, and then you got the booster guys, they're all stacking for months on end, they takes a month to get the tank stacked to it. The orbiters in the OPF, you know, they process over there four to six months, and then they bring it by and just park it. And I've walked in that place before, and there's two people in an orbiter sitting in the VEB, and I just found myself going, I guess they dropped something off for us, you know. It's just kind of like all that work and all that, and it's like, okay, Greg, your turn. And it's like, all right, game on. I yeah. appreciate it. Thanks yeah. for talking with me. No problem. Yeah, a little more shuttle goodness I thought everyone would enjoy. What I found interesting, Mark, was the, the way that uh, – uh, a gentleman was saying that he has to be, you have to be a little bit overconfident. You have to be a little bit, there has to be a little bit of a swagger there because you basically have two indiv- two entities, you know, plus your own management on your back. And if you don't have just a little bit of a swagger and if you don't have just a little bit of a, you know, a feeling of confidence and so on, then, you know, you're going to be, you, you're going to be lost in that particular job. And, uh, anybody I've ever met that's touched one of those birds and that has played with with one of those birds, um, they all exude that you know, hey, I I do a good job type attitude, and you know, gosh darn it, the, you know, I think of all these individuals now that that most of them are now you know, uh, the whole team has been separated, and what a <laughs> what a tragic loss basically for for the country. Uh, that that you had this this team that said we can do anything that you dish out and with these vehicles and and they were getting and, and again I believe the gentleman said we were getting so good at it and I've I've heard that that said from a few um, from a few few other shuttle workers that's saying we were just getting so good at this we finally figured out the nuances of these birds how they behaved how how to really really deal with their personalities and so on and then the plug was pulled you know it it just uh, <laughs> it really gets to you to see that uh, you know this whole team is you know, this this great team that we assembled is uh is just is no more and um 
hopefully the, the the shades of the of the SpaceX launch that we just witnessed and the SpaceX mission we just witnessed will will harken back to these folks. But wow, I, I just thought what a wa- what a waste of a resource of a tremendous resource that this team has now disbanded and and may not ever get back together again on any project. So. You know, if if folks are out there, you know, just just listen to these folks. If if you're trying to hire somebody, I mean, these these folks are are, are tenacious and and uh, I I I if I had a company that I could give somebody some work, I'd hire one of these guys in a heartbeat. And Mark, again, thank you so much for going ahead and sharing this because I'm I, every time you bring in one of these installments. Uh, I, I hearken back to those folks and, and just think of how magnificent these people were in, in taking care of these birds and making sure that they were healthy and, and up to each one of the challenges that spaceflight goes ahead and throws at them. Uh, these, these folks were, were just masters, and it's, it's just tough to realize that these individuals are now off, you know, are now off looking for other things. So it, it's it's. It breaks your heart, and you're so proud, and it breaks your heart all at the same time. I I, I don't know how how I could put those emotions any other other any other other way, but it, it it just does. Well, I've got some more for you in the future. I'll blend them in as we have the opportunity on future shows. Really looking forward to it, Mark. Thanks so much. Alrighty then. Now let's move on to our third and final go around. And my last story here on the go around involves another mini space shuttle and we're not talking about sierra nevadas and we're not talking about the actual one but we're talking about the military's x-37b now we've talked about this orbital test vehicle this is their second test flight which launched back in march of 2011 and has been in space for 15 months now what they're planning to do is sometime this month they will land it now, they said the team at Vandenberg Air Force Base, which is where it will land, is ready for it at any moment, at any split second, this time, this month. All based on, apparently, according to officials, weather conditions and other technical aspects. Now, they'll be landing at a three-mile-long runway that was originally built for the space shuttle when they had planned for polar launches from Vandenberg Air Force Base. And on top of that, a fun fact, besides this one coming back and landing, the one that is scheduled to launch after that in October is the same one that landed back in 2010 on the first orbital test vehicle mission. They're actually refurbishing it for the first time since the actual space shuttle program, a refurbished vehicle will be flying in space. You know, it's funny. I think Boeing also has a possible piloted version of that vehicle on the drawing boards. And uh, it, it, it again, you've got you've got Sierra Nevada's Dream Chaser, and you've got a, a possible piloted version of the X-37B coming. You know, if if it gets greenlighted, uh, so I think our our shuttle fleet is going to be well remembered for for that. And uh, uh, their uh, I guess their their kids, if you will, will be will be taking over for them. So as they sit in, in museums, sort of reminding us of uh, of their past greatness. Uh, they're uh, 
their children, if you will, will still be flying. So that'll that that's always a good thing, Sawyer. So thanks for for sharing that story. And again, the the X thirty seven B. Nobody still knows what the devil it's been doing up there for that long. I mean, the the theory. There's been some theories going on that well, maybe it's been keeping an eye on the Chinese space station up there. Well, the problem was I think the orbit just did not allow it to to take a look at the Chinese space station, but. Everybody's kind of sort of scratching their heads. What the devil has that thing been doing up there for that long? Well, you know, we, you know, it's probably one of those things. Well, we we could tell you, but we have to shoot you afterward, and and you know, so. But uh, all I'm going to say is, I'm just lucky that these things are are on our side. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, Gene, it's on to you about uh, a program that. We thought was dead, but isn't, or maybe not. Yeah, this th- this is the, the like like the little engine that could here. Uh, it looks like Europe's ExoMars. Uh, they're hoping to go ahead and get some patchwork uh, funding sources for it. Again, uh, just to refresh some folks' memory, um, the ExoMars project was a, a joint project that uh, the European Space Agency and NASA were sort of on board with, but unfortunately, that is not going to happen. NASA unfortunately backed out of its uh, out of the commitment for ExoMars, but uh, so ESA that left ESA kind of sort of scrambling for money and scrambling for a booster and so on. Because I believe NASA was going to go ahead and provide the booster in this instance too. They've have finally said that um, well we're going to have you know the, the Russians have said okay fine we'll commit to to the booster and that that's okay, but it looks like the European Space Agency has found about four hundred fifty million dollars. Uh, in likely new sources for uh, ExoMars to keep it going. It looks like uh, some of the funding sources include, and this is again coming from a a Space News article dated May 31st, some of these funding sources include some new member fees from Poland and Romania. Some of the other bigger bigger contributors are are Russia, who have, uh, NICE is asked to go ahead and contribute a proton rocket for the planned uh, uh, JUICE mission, which is their mission to Jupiter. But it also looks like it will also be contributing of the booster for uh, for ExoMars. Um, ESA is also proposing using a, a part of a, you know, the contributions from Poland and Romania for ExoMars. And, and Romania has just joined ESA. Uh, and Poland apparently is expected to join uh, at the end of this year. Um, that takes about uh, taking about 55 percent of these two nations' planned planned ESA dues for 2013 through 2017, plus another 100 percent of their uh, entry payments would yield about, uh, according to the article, about 84.7 million euros, uh, which would keep uh, keep the uh, the uh, uh, ExoMars program going. Whether whether or not they're going to make the the 2016 landing opportunity or the 2016 Mars shot opportunity is still up in the air. Um, we're hoping that will be the case. Uh, either way, it looks like they're going to go for for 2018 for sure. So we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed and watch this this whole thing and see what happens. All right, now we come around to our final story, and Mark, that's up to you. Well, I will make this quick. But first, an acronym, TDRS, T-D-R-S, Tracking, Data, and Relay Satellite. There have been a total of nine that have flown. Two have been retired. They retire them by placing them in a higher orbit. 
and there are three planned for the future. And that's all I'm going to say about the hardware itself. What I really want to tell you about is another video that I've stumbled across. It's one that I've subscribed to. It's a video podcast, I guess would be the category, by NASA under Goddard Shorts HD. Watch it, listen to it on a device that's got good sound, and enjoy the artistic way that they have represented the future of the next generation of these tracking data relay satellites, the first of which will be launched later this year. But watch the video and enjoy it, and we'll talk more about the satellites and the hardware and all that stuff at a future time. And if you would, if you watch this on YouTube, go in and comment and perhaps mention that you heard about this on Talking Space. Give us a mention there so that uh, NASA will get some idea of how their views jumped from what I currently see at 3,606 up to whatever our interested viewers bump it to. Definitely. It's an interesting video, and be sure to let them know that we sent you, and it'll be fun to see. Hey, Mark, that particular Tedris, Tedris 4, that went up on, on Discovery, no? Tedris 4 that was recently retired uh, launched March 13th on STS-29R, which was Discovery. It uh, served for 22 years. Its design life was 10 years. It went, I think, 22 and a half years, roughly. And uh, I remember uh, the, the excitement of uh, hearing about the launches, which they were initially all done from the space shuttle and uh, launched on orbit. And uh, it was always quite interesting to me, the capability that it gave. And you'll see a little representation of that in the video. I'd say, Mark, that uh, you know the U.S. taxpayer really got their uh, money's worth out of that out of that uh, mm -hmm. thing, and and again, it, it just did not handle shuttle communications. No, it handled all sorts of sorts of other uh, other communication lines. And uh, incidentally, uh, you can find this from a link that'll be in the show notes. You could probably also search for it with YouTube under TDRS Heart of Communication. All right, with that, that brings this episode to its conclusion. I'd like to thank everybody who joined us here. Thank you for joining us, Mark Ratterman. Good to be here as always. Been a lot of fun. Thanks, everybody. And thank you as well for joining us, Gene McCulka. Been a blast. And uh, Mark, again, thanks so much for sharing the uh, uh, the info on uh, on those uh, from uh, our friends over at uh, KSC, our former shuttle workers. Um, just amazing stuff. So thanks a bunch. Indeed, and thank you as well for joining us. And of course, as always. Have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are.